All right, God, we love you. Uh, thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance just to come together, Lord, as uh, just those that you created, God. Lord, you created us in love. You created us in purpose. And Lord, also you saved us in grace by Jesus. Lord, you called us back. And Lord, whether we sit in this room and we acknowledge that and find hope and life in that, or we hear that and it brings about just a ton of perplexing questions or even maybe some frustration and anger, I pray that each one of us this morning, whether by will or by, by just it being forced upon us, would find ourselves surrendering our understandings to your truth, God. Because what I know is that your truth expresses your character, and your character is that you are good, that you are love, that you are kind, and Lord, that all that you have given, all that you've given us for us to do is to let us, to help us understand that as well as express that to the world around us as we live as the light of the world in Christ. So right now, as we come to your word, we pray that your word would do the work that you promised that it would do, that it does not return void, or that your word would reveal you to us, your, your word would reveal our way of life, your word would reveal who we are to ourselves in Christ. And Lord, as we walk out of this place today, we would have a high, a high view and awe of who you are and your character, and we would have a right view of ourselves in reflection of that. So God, we thank you for this time. We give you this time. Be glorified, let us be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in an election season, and it's been, of my history, the most interesting one I have ever observed. And in, in, in this season, in this election season, you're hearing some common kind of cries, but to me they're louder. And it's the cry of, we, we don't want politics as usual. You hear that a lot. And, and the people crying out for, like, the, the change candidate. You hear stuff like, we, or, or just that. We just want change, whatever it takes. We just want change. What we've been doing is not working. And so people are, like, clamoring and, and grasping for the politician that they think is going to afford them that opportunity. And really, what we're all crying out for is a, is a leader who leads with character and integrity, which is interesting because you see people drawn to, like, hey, I think they're going to do what they said they're going to do, and really they don't care what they say they're going to do. Like, that's, anyway, that's a whole nother soapbox, but we're seeing the implications of this reality. Like, we want truth. We want to see character held up. We want to see integrity expressed, and that is, like, ripe context for what we're going to learn today. So there you go. So go ahead, if you have a Bible, open up to uh, Matthew 5, Click on your apps. If you don't have a Bible or an app on your phone, look underneath you on a chair there. There is a Bible there. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love for that to be yours as our gift. Um, so I'll give you a moment to get there. Andy, what page? 690, if you're using one of the Bibles from under your chair. So we're continuing teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Again, the sermon, that Jesus, uh, the, the sermon that Jesus gave is longest sermon and the first one that's recorded in Scripture. And uh, we're just going to jump right in today. Um, so I think you're there by now. If you're not, you can feel free to look. I think the screens are working. Are they working? Oh, great. Okay, good. So it's also there. So let's go ahead and read all of our texts today. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. It says this, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So, what was, what was happening in, in their world that Jesus needed to confront, that brought him to this place of addressing this? Because honest, I mean, for me to be honest with you, which I try to do, which is very congruent with today's message, so, but what, what I try to do is, is I've often just blown through this text as some kind of quirky, semantical thing that Jesus was doing to just turn people on their heads so that they would tune in a little bit more. I mean, just honestly. And, and I promise you, and I'm glad to say, there's much more, more than that going on here. But that's kind of how I've approached this, and I've blown through it because it's just not an obvious, like, takeaway. Okay, so yet my, let, let's, let my yes be yes and my no be no. Okay, so I get that. Just follow through. Kind of like the, what's that old Dr. Seuss, Horton, here's a who or something, the elephant. Is that the elephant? It's like, I mean what I say, and I mean what I do, and I say, yeah, something. Haley's got it. So talk to Haley afterwards. Um, thanks, Haley. Um, so, but, but that's kind of how I've seen this. And so what's happening? So the context that we're talking in, that Jesus is teaching into right here, and he, again, he's really addressing over and over again, as we've seen in the past few weeks, he's addressing this, this misinterpretation and misapplication of God's commands by the Pharisees and the scribes, the Jewish leaders, those who are responsible for making the will and way of God known to the, to the people of Israel, God's chosen people that were meant to exhibit, exhibit his glory, his image to the world by how they lived. They've been misinterpreting and misapplying. So what had happened is that at this time, the oath was considered to, to have you know, greater force the closer it was to invoking the name of God or the place of God, the center of the temple. And so that's kind of how they looked at it. And again, so they kind of put these weights on oaths. And so what they did, the Pharisees had developed this quite extensive and systematic writing of, of oaths and actually vows, to, a separate one for vows, on which ones were valid and which ones weren't. And it was weighted by, again, how closely it was to invoking the name of God or invoking the place of God, the center of the temple. And so to swear by God is like the highest oath you can make, but then you could kind of swear something closer, but not... So then they had this like this scale. So you would have this kind of weight of oaths, and out of that, some were valid binding oaths and some weren't. So that's kind of what we see here. Oaths at the time were very common, so common that it was just kind of this, this blasé, misconstrued thing, and they weren't meant, you know, and they were meant, as people would make them, they would say them to add weight to their word, right? That's pretty common sense. It seems, seems natural. That's how we kind of look at them as well. So they would use oaths in all sorts of circumstances and these very measured oaths to bring weight to what they said they were going to do. So the biggest problem that Jesus is, is addressing here is that the Pharisees had taken this idea of making valid oaths and they had elevated the form of how the oath was made over actually the keeping of the oath that was made itself. So once again, as we've seen over and over again with this Pharisaic teaching is that they were more concerned with keeping the appearance of good instead of actually goodness being good. They were more concerned with the appearance of truth without actually being true to their word or being truthful. So unlike the previous three, three topics that we've looked at of, of anger, lust, and divorce, as he addressed, Jesus addressed these, he doesn't directly quote 
um, a, a, an Old Testament law here. The other ones are direct quotes, te- uh, commands in other places where law is expressed. But it's obviously, that as we see this, it's obviously an established command as we see this in similar iterations throughout the Old Testament. A couple, just to give you a picture, Exodus 27 says, You shall not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So we see that. That's from the commandments. Uh, Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by, by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I and the Lord. So we see that this is a teaching that's common. So what are we talking about here? What is Jesus, again, what is Jesus addressing? What is, what is the skin on life here? We're talking about character, integrity, honesty. We're talking about not lying, right? Just not lying. You just don't lie. Like that's, we could, that could be our message for today. Like Haley, during our prayer this morning, she basically... Uh, preached the message. She was like, don't lie. Keep your word. There you go. We're done. So that was it. So Haley's gotten two shout outs today. We'll see if we can make it three. So uh, they're not planned, I promise. So if it's not obvious already. So, but, uh, you know, as, as I come to this, I feel like we're reverting back a little bit to like elementary school or just this, you know, this simple, simple truth that like seems obvious. It seems like doesn't need to be expanded upon, but like we, we get we get the importance of truthfulness, and we show it just intuitively. We show it's, it's, it's kind of almost just innate. It's in us. It's a value that is upheld. I mean, just for Amber and I, I know how much time we spend just trying to instill in our kids the value of being truthful. I mean, over the most, the most just trivial, mundane things, if we get a hint that they're not being truthful for the value of them learning the value of truth, will say, are you being truthful? Are you? Are you? Are you? Are you being truthful? Are you? And it's usually about the 10th one, they finally say, no. So, but, but <laughs> I mean, that's just how it goes. And you think about like elementary classroom rules. I mean, be truthful, be kind, be obedient. It's just, it's there. So we're kind of like getting down into this simplicity, but we'll see that the implications are far from simple. They're, they're, they're really, I mean, they're cosmic. They're, they're, they encompass all of what matters and all of what we're called to. So today I hope to show why that truthfulness matters. So Jesus, he's addressing a specific error in the Pharisees and scribes and their teaching. So what is, if we, know, if we know that he's addressing their error, to look at us today, and we know that Jesus has a word for us today, what is our error in this? How do we perpetuate this? How do we who value truth also show that we don't? Where are we inconsistent? That's, that's our question. So how, how do we compromise the truth in our promises? Again, to put it simply, how do we lie? And lying is so interesting. As I was, uh, as I was researching and studying this, we had come, I came across a couple of interesting kind of things about lies. And first, I came across this, this psychological article that, that gave a spectrum of lies from least harmful to harmful. And they really had this, they had this quantified and qualified, like, spectrum of lies. And it, and it kind of started with, it started with white lies, which they defined as lies that were for the well-being of someone else. 
And then it went to the most malicious of lies, which were the lies that benefited you at the expense or at the harm of somebody else. And that was really kind of the, the weight of the spectrum. The, the, so the lie that was almost applaudable was the one that was for someone else. But as you went degraded down the scale, it was the more, than it, the more that it benefited you, the vain conceit, the selfish ambition of the, that drove the lie. That's what this psychological article weighted as this, this, these bad lies. The second thing I came across was this study by this guy named Robert Feldman from the University of Massachusetts. In his study, he found that the average person, and I'm going to say there's no one average in here, I'm assuming, but the average person lied two to three times in a 10-minute conversation. Now, he, of course, in this, he included these white lies, these little, these little inconsequential lies, but that's, that's the, the number that he came up with in his scientific, again, scientific method study. That's, that's the official way you should describe that. But those were interesting things to me. I was like, golly, it's like, how many times do, and that made me start thinking and evaluating, like, how often do I lie? In what ways do I lie? How often am I lied to? And, and just kind of had all kinds of questions. This definitely brings up an interesting ethical question today of whether or not lies are ever okay. Like, I think about the movie Liar, Liar, and like, what does a life, what's the world look like where no one ever lies? Where everything that someone says is the absolute truth that they know. And, and, <laughs> There's been movies made that show the quandaries that you will get in and the interesting dynamics of that. And, and I experienced that just from having a sister growing up. And as we were both teenagers, she would say, hey, Heath, how does this look like on me? How does this look on me? What does this look like? And through experience, I learned that it was better not to be honest. If I didn't like the way something, my sister's beautiful, but if for whatever reason I didn't like the way something looked, I realized that she really didn't want to know what I thought. She just wanted me to encourage and affirm her. And so there I learned that it was better, and I really probably justified it by saying it was better for her, but it was really better for me because I didn't have to face it, that I was just saying, hey, looks great, have fun, and just a little fun little devious caveat. One of my favorite things to do for her is when she would come home from a date or come home from a day at school, I would see her and I would say, hey, hey, Heather, did, did you wear that today? And she'd go, yeah, i go, why? And she, she, she'd go, yeah, why? And I'd go, oh, no reason. I was just wondering. And I'd walk off. Would drive her crazy. Like, she would think that there was, I just did it just for the fun of it, being that pesky little brother. And I was that. So anyway, so we, we've learned, we think, like, there are situations where we would, like, not even think twice about something like that. We would say, it's okay. But obviously, the question is not, is lying ever okay? If that's the question that we tried to answer today, we'd really be no different than the way the Pharisees treated this call to character, this call to truthfulness, this call to living out the truth of God. So that's not the question we're asking today. But what I do think about is like, in what ways do we, do we have a similar need as the Pharisees? Because we do. I mean, we can say that we lie. I mean, what are the reasons that we lie? We lie to get ahead, That'd be pretty far down the scale. We lie to look good, pretty far down the scale as far as psychology today says. We lie to stay out of trouble, debatable. We lie to avoid awkwardness, again, the sister thing. We lie for approval. We lie to protect someone else's feelings, seems noble. And sometimes when we get into this 
this, this, this cycle of, of hiddenness, this cycle of deception. Sometimes we end up lying out of habit, lying for no reason at all. We find ourselves speaking something and we're like, why did I, why, why did I hide? Like, why did I lie just then? So it's interesting, but we see that we, we have this same kind of gray area, this same, these same little compartments in our life that we tuck away and say are okay. And we, and we look at, we kind of degrade truth in that. And so there is a word for us. So if we're not answering the question, when is it okay to lie, what question are we answering today? I say we answer this question. Why should lying be such an unnatural thing for those who are Christ followers? Why should denying truth, why should not upholding truth be such an unnatural thing for those who are in Christ? So if we know that we lie, and we find ourselves in the company of these Jesus is addressing, what is his teaching to them and to us? And we're going to start with kind of his summary statement, just that simple statement. It says, let what you say simply be yes or no. What is that saying to us? Jesus is calling us to commit to absolute integrity. Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And you probably heard a famous quote from C.S. Lewis or some iteration of it. He said, and as he defines integrity, he says integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Again, he's like, stop acting like a Pharisee. Be you. Be consistent. So what is the fertile soil, if you will, in our life of, of compromised integrity? If we get that, if we value it, if we get that it's important, what is it that, that brings allowance to, to compromising that in our life? And I'll say this, it's the dark and hidden places that sow the seeds of falsity. And man, I think about like growing up, I, I watched MacGyver, I watched A-Team, I watched Inspector Gadget, I, I watched Dragnet, I, lo I just loved like the mystery. I loved like the intrigue. I loved espionage. And so I think about like I loved secret places growing up. And I, so like I, I, I would hide like pointless things just because I liked being able to hide stuff like the, 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 the vent in my bedroom that was in the floor. I'd pull it up and I would just put stuff in it because I knew that I could hide it there. Like it was, but I just, I liked hidden places. Uh, hide and seek, favorite game. Who knew? So Sardine's even better because it's hiding with friends, which you know me, I like friends. So do you not play sardines? One person hides, you look for them as you find them, you stay. So like I would find the, like, the most smallest cramped space possible, like underneath the bed, and we're all just like, anyway. It's, my, I just chased a rabbit. I'm going to stop it, though, and uh, I almost let you in too much. Just stop talking sometimes. It's good. Um, so, I love secret places, though. But we see that they're harmful when it comes to this call to integrity, this call to truthfulness. That is the place where this compromise of integrity grows. So, so what are some ways that we manifest this? What's it look like? And, 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 and I would say just quite simply, we just straight up hide things. Again, it's those, those evasive lies. Like we, and, and one of the ways that we love to do this is by admitting a lesser 
truth, a lesser offense, a, a, a vagary. But we, we hide things. We, we do things in the dark. And, and if you're around here much, you, at least the guys, we talk about just keeping it in the light. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, whatever is upon you, like bring it to the Lord, surrender to the Lord, and, and share it with your brothers. Keep it in the light. And that way, you know, you're not alone in it. You've got, you've got someone battling with you, but you can't hide it. And so like the hidden places that become dangerous. And I think about dealing, you know, walking alongside people that are recovering from addiction. And when you're recovering from addiction, it's, it's amazingly apparent that any hidden place, any hidden place becomes a place where just that, 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 original, that original need can just anchor in and root and then overtake once again. I mean, I, I have a, a, a brother who was recovering, and, and he was hiding his smoking. And, and we were like, man, like, you know, if you're going to smoke, smoke. Like, just smoke. You don't have to hide it. We'll walk around. Like, if that's something you want to be free from, if your conscience is bound by that, then share it with us and let us walk alongside you. But hiding it, all of a sudden, you hiding that becomes, becomes a posture that becomes familiar once again. And you, all of a sudden, that, that original seed of addiction, that original need that was satisfying your need for refuge or for escape or for security, all of a sudden finds a place to cultivate again. So we cannot have hidden places. We have to keep things in the light. Again, thinking about what is promised in Christ of, you know, that, 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 which, that darkness that is exposed to light becomes light. Not just that it, it is shown, it has the light shine on it, it is actually transformed into light. So again, thinking of this in the terms of the gospel, we see that the light of Jesus transforms our darkness into light. So why would you not want, why would you want to struggle alone? Why would you want to make allowances to fall back into a pit? So again, keep it in the light. No hidden places. Another way is that we compartmentalize. We have areas of our life where we've committed to this absolute integrity. We have other areas where circumstantially it's okay, it's justifiable. And I think the job, just various jobs are, I mean, gosh, one of the key examples that we see this playing out to where the job requires you to look for, to, to kind of work the vagaries, to look for loopholes or to, to fudge the numbers or, you know, for the sake of people not getting layoffs or for the, you know, for, for the sake of the, the person you're representing or for the, you know, just whatever, the sake of your reports, the year in reports so that, you know, status quo is maintained. Like we, we compartmentalize that. And I think the workplace is a very common place. And a little trivial example, I think it's so funny how we kind of compartmentalize truthiness and integrity and upright character is just being at church. This is a funny trivial, but it shows that the mentality is there. And how often have you either found yourself saying or someone else say, like, oh, you can't say that. You're at church. You ever heard that? I've always thought that was the funniest thing. I'm like, hey, God was here. But he was with you and watching you. He was, he was alongside you. His standard was the same before you came in. But we get it, you know, or, or how often. I remember, like, growing up, uh, you know, I've been, in, I've been a, a Christ follower since I was in middle school and, and pretty, pretty zealous since high school. I had a friend in high school who would, would you know, let a cuss word fly and look, oh, oh, sorry, Heath, sorry, Heath. And I'm like, I, I mean, I, you know, what, what am I going to do? You know, I don't care. Like, it's you, you, you and God will do what he does, and we'll see. You know, and, or just now, like, being a pastor, the moment that I tell someone I'm a pastor, like, they, they, they just change. I had a buddy of mine, he was a, he's a pastor, and he was pulling up to visit a guy at his house one day, a guy kind of newly coming to the community, and he's, 
he's washing his car, and he has a beer sitting on the ground, and the guy sees the pastor pulling the driveway, and as he's washing his car, he just kind of slides his beer behind the tire, and my buddy, I love this guy, he's one of the, I don't know how I do this, I'm, I'm way too like, I don't know, but he gets out, he goes, hey bro, you better be careful, you almost knocked your beer over, you know, so it's like so funny, but we compartmentalize it, and all of a sudden we think that like, there's some, there's some places that matter and some places that don't, some places that God values, some places that he doesn't, some places that God expects this, and some places that he doesn't. So we compartmentalize. So we see first that we hide, then we see that we compartmentalize, and we see how dangerous that is. So your way of life should be an expression of who you are, and who you are is one who is made new in Christ. So that's why this compartmentalization doesn't make sense. Just as much as you can't shake being a child of your parents, you can't stop being that. You can't cease to be in Christ if you've made that confession. You can't cease to, to you can't surrender that identity. Now you can deny it, you can diminish it, you can mask it, but it does not stop because you are, because as we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, therefore, if any was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Man, that's a word of hope, but it's also a word of, of, of judgment upon you in the sense, you know, of, 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 of responsibility. And so we have to understand that. And so, you know, thinking about that, we, we see also another way that we manifest this, this kind of compromise of truthfulness is that we compensate for our shortcomings with lies. This is more of a motivation, I guess. We compensate our shortcomings with lies, deceptions, and half-truths. And this goes back, this is the motivation of why. This goes back to Adam and Eve. And we see at the very beginning, Genesis 3, 8 through 12, we're going to read all, four, all, all five of these verses. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And this is after they had fallen, after they had sinned against God, after they had denied his command, the one thing, don't take of the tree of life and eat. And they had done that. So this is where we're at. It says, and they, they heard him walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He knew where he was. He just wanted the guy to recognize that he was hiding. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Like, that, that sums up everything we just described. The hiddenness, the compartmentalization, the, 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 the admitting to a lesser offense or just, or, or shirking, like kind of passing off the responsibility. I mean, that was just a straight-up lie. Like, the truth is yes. The truth is yes. Take responsibility. So they were ashamed, and they hid themselves, and we see all of a sudden all these things of what of why they're dangerous. We're starting to kind of see it take shape of why it matters so much because they are assaults against the character of God and the work he has done in your life in Christ. Just to kind of turn the corner here. There is no shame. I remember reading, I remember reading this business book a while back and, and this concept, this concept that he threw out, he said, what would, what would your work be like? Imagine how effective your work and your leadership would be if you just committed to absolute accountability. And what he meant by that was, do what you say you're going to do, and when you don't do it, own up to it, learn from it, take your licks, and move forward. And I was just like, I mean, that's simple but revolutionary. If you didn't, you know, and he's kind of painting this picture of, of, 
of how this affects everything. And while this book was, was so humanistic as far as like you can make yourself a great leader, you can make yourself successful. I mean, golly, it just dripped. It dripped with God's truth. And, when, and all of a sudden, when you look at it through the gospel, you see the full implications. Because we think about that, that speaks to no shame. It speaks to not performing, performing for the approval of man. It speaks to understanding the value of your word and, and, and why. And we're going to come to why in just a second. And, and thinking about what that says, I mean, we lie because we fear the recourse of man in the temporal world. I mean, at work, when that happens, we lie because we don't want to get fired. We lie because we want the raise, right? We lie, we, we, we deny, we diminish our, our failure. But again, when you, all of a sudden you have the bigger view, you see the sovereignty of God, and, and you recognize that, okay, I, I, I dropped the ball, I screwed up. Hey, listen, I just didn't prioritize rightly, and I, I haven't finished it yet. You know, can I, can I, will you give me an opportunity to finish it? You know, and, I, and then you learn from it. Like, again, you, hopefully this isn't a pattern, where you're repeatedly doing that, that becomes pointless. You should get fired, but <laughs> but you know, I mean, when that happens, like it, allow it. I mean, step into it, own it, and take. You know, that's that's full accountability and integrity. So in Christ, we don't have to fear because there is no condemnation in Christ, as we already said. So hopefully, you don't find yourself in a situation often, but when you do, you respond with humility, and that is a picture of the gospel, living out. The image of God, showing the gospel to the world is not being perfect, but it is being humble and, and trusting that God's truth is good and that you're going to respond in that truth. We'll, we'll wrap that up again in a second. So a great kindness for you and I is that this way of life, this way of truthiness should lead to us being able to live with a clear conscience. And that matters. It does, it, that sounds kind of human-centered, but it matters. Paul repeatedly calls us to a life that allows a clear conscience. We see it in a couple places, just to bring up a couple. So 2 Corinthians 1, 12 says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Acts 24, 16 says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. So we see the value, and I love the way that this old Puritan guy, William Gurnall, uh, kind of expressed this and summarized this. He says, keep a, keep a clear conscience. He cannot be a bold reprover that is not a conscientious liver. Such a one must speak softly for fear of waking his own guilty conscience. So, man, you want to have a life that's free. You want to have a life that's free to speak the truth of God boldly, to have courage, to step into the risk, to, to, to again, walk in faith you see just the practical implication of the freedom of a clear conscience. And when you compromise in even the smallest way, the hidden places, the compartmentalized world, the, the compartmentalized reality, all of a sudden your conscience is pricked. Your conscience doesn't, has a hard time understanding. You know, it's afraid of getting discovered. So how do we, what's our way forward? I mean, is it, is it good enough just to say, let's just commit to be honest? <laughs> I mean, does that work? It could. I mean, it's a starting point. Like, I think form, form can lead us to the truth of God. And I say, I say let's own up to our work or lack thereof. Take the praise and the lumps. Like, you know, you can't, you can't just take the good. Like, learn. It's, a, it's, all, it's about learning and developing and working for the good of those you're working with and for. Let's own our emotions. 
like again, like you don't have to be afraid of emotions. And if something hurts you, speak that it hurts you. If you're afraid of something, speak that you're afraid of it. If you're, if you're insecure about something, again, like what is it? Think of the freedom that is there of, again, no hidden places, no compartmentalizing, just sharing it with those that God has given you. And let's allow for our own humanness, meaning our, that we are, even though we are transformed, made new in Christ, we are still battling flesh and sin, and we will still sin. I mean, Scripture says, he who says he doesn't sin is a, calls God a liar. And that's speaking to the believers. And so, again, although God doesn't see us as those who are, are bound in sin and, and, and our sin as an identity, he sees us as those who are redeemed, made new, and sin is just now an activity. And so in this, we can allow for our own humanness, which frees us from the insecurities that cause us to respond in these ways, and we can allow for the humanness of others. So oftentimes, when someone invites us to a party and we can't go, or to dinner and we can't go, or, or to dinner and we don't want to go, we just need a down night. We usually make up some reason why. It seems to be more, has to, we seem like it has to be more valid than just, you know, i I'm just not, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm tired, I need a night of rest, or, hey, I just, I really just kind of want to have a down night. Like, we don't feel like that's valid enough. Like, we don't feel like we're allowed to need that. And, but yet, is that, well, I think what we're doing in those moments is that we're actually projecting our own insecurity. Like, of, like, we would, we know that when we invite people over, we want, we want people to come over, and often we wrap up our identity, and our, we find our validation in who says yes, and how many people say yes. Now, don't get me wrong. When I invite people to come over, I want them to come over. When I, when I open, like, when I take the risk, I feel that. I feel it. I feel like, oh, gosh, who's going to come? Like, uh, that was why I only liked surprise parties, because I didn't know about them, and I wasn't planning them. And so, and, I, and if nobody came, I wouldn't know. Was, they just wouldn't say surprise, and it would be like me hanging out with two people, so it would be good. So maybe that, I've only had one surprise party. Maybe I've had ten, but just nobody came. So, but, but I, like, I get that. I get that. I'm not saying that it's not natural to feel that way, but I'm saying is just recognize a, there's a bigger picture of, of, when, of what we turn to often for our identity, for our security, for our validation. And really what we're called to is just, man, like, let's, let's, Let's just do an experiment and try it. Of course, like, be tactful. I'm, this is, I don't need to go down this road. I feel like I'm venturing towards patronizing, but, like, you get it. Like, you can still be kind, but let's just try to own up. Like, or, like, when our kids don't go to school, I'll just tell you, confession. Sometimes our kids don't go to school because we just want to sleep longer than it takes to get them there in time. Like, just to be honest. And so, like, what email do we write to our teacher? Because we're supposed to email the school every day that they're absent. Do we say, Brooklyn's not feeling well? Or do we say, <laughs> we're just tired today and needed a family day? Again, hopefully it's not a pattern where they kick us out of the school. But I'm just saying, like, what's the big consequence if we're honest about it? And so these are very real examples of times we have not cho chose the, the route of integrity that I've been convicted at over the week. And so... At the end of the day, it's like, okay, I think, and here's a great thing. I'm like, uh, I'm going to get to it, so I'll just wait, okay? Huh. Yeah, so, um, so it's, yeah, that's, I'm having to get back on my notes for a second, make sure I don't miss anything. So you get the, maybe we just kind of get where we're going here. And I, one little caveat, and I will say this is not a matter of personality. 
I think we make allowances. Because I think what I'm thinking about here is this anti-committal flakiness. You know, and that's two different things. Anti-committal is the one who never commits. The flaky is the one who commits and never shows up for different reasons. And they're all, we always have good reasons for one. Like anti-committal, you're, 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 you're mitigating between a bunch of different options or you're just afraid to commit to one because something else better might come up, which is not great. Uh, FOMO maybe. Um, and then the other one, the flaky, is just where you just don't really care about the promises you make. <laughs> That's a strong word. Maybe a, you can write me an email if you want. Um, we can talk about that. But uh, it's not a matter of personality. There are people who have different rhythms and different, different uh, competencies and different capacities of, of kind of how, how much of a volume they can handle, how much they can juggle. But you see that being, your yes being yes and your no being no, what you're seeing is that if you say yes, even though you might say yes to less, as a person who, who has... Who, kind of perpetuates the anti-committal or the flaky, you can just commit to be and follow through with what you do. So it's not a matter of personality. This is, a, this is deeper than that. Yes, it's going to look differently and express differently, but it's not a matter of personality. It's a ma- matter of making decisions without a guarantee of success and taking responsibility of the outcomes no matter what. So let's try to land the plane here as we get to the big truths. So we're understanding our calling is absolute integrity, but why... Are we called to that, and how can we live that out? So let's read the bulk of our text one more time. Um, we're going to start with 34. It says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So the answer to those questions, the answer to why we are called to such a high standard is that our integrity is rooted in the very character of God. We've been hinting at that all morning, so now we're here. When we look at our text, we see a vital truth for all of us. Because God is sovereign over all things, and he's sovereign over all things and in, in, in his in his glory revealed through all of his creation, because of that, it gives, let me just say that again because I want to get it right. Because God is sovereign over all things and it is his glory revealed through all of his creation that gives any value to the creation itself. Does that make sense? It is useless to swear by anything other than God, okay? To find authority in anything other than God. That's what he's saying here. He's like, there's nothing you can swear by that surpasses the authority of God. I created it all. All of it points to me. So just let your authority be in me. So Jesus is pointing out that all of the Old Testament, all of Old Testament law, the commands that were given, has a direction appointing to the reality of our glorious God and his truth. Again, so all of a sudden to say that there's some other need to validate that diminishes that. To be concerned about anything else is to compromise the command of God. And so when we think about that and we think about this idea of, of acting only under the authority of God and in the authority of God, all of a sudden we're brought to this reality that we are his image bearers. Again, first in the general sense as his creation created all of mankind, all, every person in his image. But much more we see it specifically that he's speaking to the restored people of God. 
Those who were once outside of fellowship because of sin and rebellion, who were adopted as sons and daughters, sinners made saints, set apart for his glorious purpose as his new people. Right? So all of a sudden, we see that it is now, we, 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 we live in this authority. We are, we are the product of his authoritative work of redeeming in Christ. And so as his image bearers, or as those who are living out the, as citizens of his kingdom, pointing to a reality of, of, a, of a holy God and a kingdom to come, all of a sudden we see that, again, to try to, to, to obfuscate that. Is that a word? To obfuscate that, to, to diminish that, is to deny the very authority and steadfastness and character of God. So the world looks to the people of God, those who are in Christ, to understand him. Our life is meant to be a homiletic of God's truth, meant to help people understand and interpret God's truth, as well as an apologetic of his truth. And not just his truth, but his being real. The apologetic, the the defense of the reality. Our life is meant to do that. So we don't need to strengthen the, we shouldn't need to strengthen the force of our word. We should be a people who live that way. We should be a people who, because we are in him and he is in us, the natural posture, the natural tendency is to live out this truthiness, to have integrity, to be a people who commit and follow through, to be a people who say they'll be there and show up for the glory of God and the good of those that we are living amongst. So the questions that I'm faced with is, do I reflect a God that will never leave or forsake That's why integrity matters. Another question, do I, do you point to the reality of a God who is faithful even when you are faithless as he promises as we see in in Timothy? So how do we grow in this character of God and integrity? And I'll say this, to know God is to love God. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. And in knowing knowing us, he allows us to know him. And in knowing him, we fall in love with him. And to love God is to live out his commandments, John 14.15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So to grow in the character of God is to respond to the truths of God as you grow in your understanding of him and them as you walk with him in that relationship. Again, it's about knowing and being known. And so this work, this is your sanctification. That's what I was about to jump to earlier that we're coming to now, talking about sanctify, like being made more like Christ. Again, you are totally set apart, made new to where God sees the righteousness of Jesus in your life upon belief and confession, but then you are being made new. You're being made more like Christ. And so the invitation to this life of truthfulness is to, not, is to know that What you get to do is as you grow in your understanding, as the command and the truth of God, the will and way of God becomes known, you get to say yes. You get to respond in kind. You get to respond in obedience and say, okay, God, here's my life. And to know that some days you'll get it wrong, to know that some days you'll fail, to know that some days, even though you intended right the day before, your understanding was wrong and now you're growing and you get to just adjust to the new reality of your new understanding and you get to go forward with an offering today. That's integrity. That's clear conscience. Again, not perfection, but just that willful, obedient offering in the freedom of relationship. Remember, oftentimes we kind of drift towards this weight, which I think we should feel the weight. I think we should feel the weight of this call, but we can't get all worked up and saddled 
with fear and guilt over whether or not you're going to do good enough at this. We're not meant to measure up to God's character. That's not the point. Yes, we're called to be holy as he is holy, but recognize he is the one who is holy. We are the ones who are being made holy. So we're created anew, given the Holy Spirit that compels and empowers us towards the life of obedience that points to the character of God. And remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bring your offering today. Live unto Christ today. That's integrity. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. To express the character of God, to have integrity, is to live honestly, humbly, and submitted to the will of God. And when you fail, you confess, you repent, you reconcile, and you allow yourself to be restored by the grace of God expressed and given in Jesus so here's this. I want you to hear this. I want this to, hopefully this speaks life into you. And hopefully this kind of gives some stepping stones for the way forward. Here's, we get to do this. We get to enjoy the chance to point to a holy and steadfast God in your obedience. And also pointing to the wonderful and abundant grace expressed in Jesus in your failures. That's why you can commit to absolute accountability, absolute integrity, because you get to point to Jesus no matter what. You get to call the world in no matter what. It is the unrepentant and hypocritical life that is to be feared, not the imperfect or the one who fails at times. Let us be a people who in freedom, that we're in the freedom that we're given in Christ, that we let our yes be yes and our no be no. This is not normal, and you feel that in this world. And I promise you, you will be different. And in that, you will show that you are set apart. As we do that, we pray that it is for God's glory, to Him be the glory. And as a result, that we would be effective at calling people unto Christ and making disciples of all the earth. So let us be a people of truth, people of integrity. So we come to the end of each message with a time of prayer. We want it to be a time of prayer just responding to God's truth today. And again, it's a time where some can pray out loud, some can pray silently, and some can listen. No matter where you're at today, belief, disbelief, hurt, pain, excitement, let this be a time of response. And uh, let your heart be lifted up. And in a moment, Travis Janeway will come and lead us in communion. So I'll start us in prayer, and then you can follow as the Lord leads. So God, we love you. Oh, God, I, I, I pray, I know I start almost every prayer with those words, and I just think of what we just said, to know you is to love you. And so, God, I pray that when I speak those words, that it would either be from a place of reflecting on you, of who you are, how you've worked in my life, how you have shown your glory in and through me, or that it leads me to those thoughts. Lord, I pray that as we come through this teaching from Jesus, this call to truth and character and integrity, Lord, that we would see that it, the bottom line, it is a call to live out who we are in Christ. It is a call to walk in right relationship with you that you have made possible. Lord, you are the one who does the work. And so, Lord, we also want to respond with a willful work of righteousness, a willful work of responding in obedience as we grow in our understanding. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, Lord, that it, it helps us, to, it leads us to know you. It brings us unity with you, and it transforms us for your glory and for the, our good and for the good of the world around us, God. 
So whatever we do, God, let us always be motivated. Let me be motivated by that understanding. Let me be motivated by, by being humbled of my need for you. Let me be emboldened by the work of Christ in me. Or let it sting on my lips and in my heart and in my mind when I compromise the truth you've given. When I don't live out what it is to be your image bearer, the one that has been set apart for your glory in this world. Or let our way of life be a way of life that calls people to Jesus, that reveals your glory. But a way of life, again, that is an expression of identity, not just attaining favor.